morning, if you will, and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Ecclesiastes chapter 8. What a tremendous thing it is to know that you're saved. And um, Brother John's going through Sunday school, kind of just basic doctrines, basic, uh, basic discipleship, and um, it's so exciting. I, I, I obviously I'm not in there. I'm, I'm in there with the teens, but um, we've just we've been discussing the different lessons and talking about the different things. And uh, I know he talked about eternal security this morning, and boy, that's one of the things that I'm so thankful for because we we sin often, right? We make mistakes often. And boy, I don't know how many times that I've, you know, that I've made mistakes in my life and left it unconfessed for days or weeks or even months sometimes. Boy, I'm glad that if, if I died in that moment, it's not that I'm going to go to hell. I know Jesus Christ is my Savior. And he's promised that once we're saved, we're always saved. He holds us in his hand. He keeps us. And, and that means that if I can lose my salvation, then that means that I'm doing something to keep it. And I'm so thankful that I don't have to do anything to keep my salvation. I want my relationship with Christ to be right. I want it to be right. And I should be confessing sin. I should be getting those things cleaned out of my life. Uh, but boy, our relationship with Christ is so paramount after we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior and living for Him. And that's what, we, that's what I want to talk about this morning. The Bible says this in Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and verse number 1. Who is as the wise man, and who knoweth the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom maketh his face to shine, and the boldness of his face, face shall be changed. I counsel thee to keep the king's commandment, and that in regard of the oath of God. Be not hasty to go out of his sight. Stand not in an evil thing, for he doeth whatsoever pleaseth him. Where the word of a king is, there is power. And who may say unto him, What doest thou? Whoso keepeth the commandment shall feel no evil thing, and a wise man's heart discerneth both time and judgment. Now, I'm well aware of the fact that here in Ecclesiastes, this is referring to an earthly king. Uh, obviously, this is Solomon that's writing that. But in the days when kings were the rule of the land, it was a very grievous thing to go against the command of the king. In fact, you didn't go against the command of the king. And in, 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 in egregious situations, going against the command of the king, disobedience, often resulted in death, and the king's command was law. You did not want to anger the king. Now, let me point out a couple other verses to you. Turn over to Revelation chapter 1. Those verses in Ecclesiastes were just kind of a setup for what I want you to see here in Revelation chapter 1. I'm going to point a couple things out to you, and hopefully you'll see where we're going with this this morning. But in Revelation chapter 1 and verse number 5, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince... Of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Turn over to Revelation 17. Revelation 17, verse number 14. And we're not looking at context necessarily this morning to try to cover all this. It's just so I'm not, you know, to try to explain all this. I just want you to see this one verse. Revelation 17, 14. These shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them, for he is Lord of lords. And king of kings, and they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. Revelation 19, verse number 16. Revelation 19, verse number 16. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. See, our master is not just a king. He's not just a lord. 
He is the King of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. We obviously don't live in an age where to anger a king could be a death sentence. We don't live in that age anymore. But we have a king that we are responsible to obey. And as much as the ancient civilizations feared the repercussions of disobedience to the king, how much more should we be willing to obey the command of the King of kings and Lord of lords? Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse number 12. You can turn there if you want to. You don't have to. It says this. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. You want to sum up the Christian life in one sentence? Fear God and keep his commandments. Fear God and keep his commandments. That is our responsibility. That is the one thing. That's the whole duty of man. What a tremendous responsibility we have. We must obey the command of the king of kings. The command of the king. That's what I want to talk to you for a few minutes about this morning. I want to examine what we find in the word of God for three different commands that I think will help us obey all of the commands that are given to us by our king. There's a lot of commands in the Bible. But I think if we follow these three, then the rest of them will just come very easily. It'll be very easy for us to follow. Let's pray, and then I want to look at a couple of things that we find in the Word of God this morning. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for how good you are to us. I thank you for those that are here this morning. I do pray that you'd help us to get exactly what we need. We're coming here this morning not to show off how good we are. We're coming here because this is a hospital, and this is where we need to get well. God, we have so much to learn, so much to grow in our Christian life, so many things that we still need to accomplish for you, and I pray that this morning would be a starting point for somebody in here that needs to make those steps, for all of us that need to continue moving forward for you, all of us that need to be aware of the commands that you've given to us and help us to follow them, to live them, to obey them, to do exactly what you want us to do in our lives until you come back to take us home. Thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. The first command that I want you to see is found in Mark chapter 12. Turn over to Mark chapter 12, if you will. I don't have a lot of verses for you to turn to this morning, so I'd like you to follow along with me as we do. But Mark chapter 12, we find the first command. And you actually see this in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But here in Mark chapter 12, in verse number 30, I think it kind of summarizes all of those other verses in those other passages. But the Bible says this, And thou shalt, that's a command, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God, with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. That's the first commandment that I want to look at this morning. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. See, most Christians are willing to pay only lip service to that command. If you ask them, do you love God? Oh, absolutely, I love God. And most people are more than willing to say, yes, I love God. They're willing to go get a bumper sticker and put it on the back of their car. I love Jesus, or honk if you love Jesus, or whatever else those things. You know, they're willing to say that, but then when it actually comes down to it, the truth is that most Christians don't love the Lord with all of their heart, soul, strength, and mind. Because if we loved him the way that we say we love him, then all of the other commandments are just a matter of figuring out what it is. Well, we would do them. If we really love the Lord our God, we'd do those things. We would change the way that we live. There was a guy who was 67 years old. He was a carpenter by the name of Russell Herman. He died in 1994. But his will included just a staggering set of, of bequests, if you will. But included in his plan for the way that he wanted everything to be distributed, he, he said that $2 billion was supposed to go to the city of East St. Louis, another billion dollars and a half for the state of Illinois, two and a half billion dollars for the national forest system, and to top off the entire list, he left six trillion dollars to the government to help pay off the national debt. Now, that's a lot of money. There's only one problem. 
when he died, he only had a 1983 Oldsmobile. That was it. That was the only thing that he owned to his name. And you know, I think a lot of Christians are the same way. Make grand pronouncements. I'll go to death for Christ. I love him so much that if it came down to it and they asked me, do you love God or are you going to be burned at the stake? I'll go to the stake for him. Right? Isn't that what Peter says? Though everyone else forsake thee, yet will not I forsake thee? And who was the first one to deny Christ three times when he was standing there and they asked him if he knew who Christ was? Right? They weren't asking him, do you follow him? Do you obey him? Do you, are, you, you know, are you going out and doing all the teachings of Christ and everything else? They said, do you know him? And he said, I don't even know who that guy is. Right? And I think that's the way a lot of Christians would be. We make these grand pronouncements about how much we love Christ. And it's very easy to do that when we're at church because everybody else around us loves Christ too. Right? But then when the rubber meets the road and it comes down to it, we get to, we get to the point where, well, maybe I don't really love him that much. I mean, think about how much more I can do for Christ if I didn't actually go get burned at the stake, right? And we, we justify it. We figure out ways around it so that we don't have to really go all out for Jesus Christ. How often do Christians do that, that with, with Jesus Christ? They promise to love him and serve him, but they know that they never have any intention of proving it, mostly because they don't think they're ever going to have to try to prove it. But I'm telling you, the day is coming. The day is coming in this country and probably in our generation where we're going to have to prove whether or not we really love Christ the way that we say we love Christ. Loving God with all of our hearts means loving him with everything we are. That means that all of our desires belong to him. That means that all of our affections go to him. All of our thoughts, all of our dreams, all of our hopes, they belong to Jesus Christ. Everything is directed toward him. That's very easy to say, but when it comes down to it in reality, it's a lot harder to do. Turn over to John chapter 14. The command of the king is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. The second command we see in John chapter 14 and verse number 15. And boy, this is very, very simple, yet very complex. John chapter 14 and verse number 15 says this. If ye love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. The way you prove your love for God is to obey him. Again, easy to say, but hard to do in some ways. But then in other ways, if we really love God, it's not a hard thing to obey him. <laughs> right? We say, well, look at all the commands in the Bible. I can't do this. I can't do that. I have to do this. I have to do that. Do you love him or not? Do you really love him or not? I mean, you hear stories, love stories all the time about people who are willing to go through this and do that and, and endure this because they knew they were coming back home to the person that they loved. Right? How many times do you hear stories of, of, of uh, World War II or Vietnam veterans who, you know, they were captured behind enemy lines and they just, they went through so much torture and so much pain and so much, uh, you know, trouble because they knew that they had somebody back home that was waiting for them that they loved and that loved them, right? And they were willing to suffer all of those things because love is a powerful thing. Same thing is true of God. If we say that we love him, it wouldn't be hard to keep his commandments, I'll do anything you want me to do. I love you to the point that I'd be willing to do everything, to, even to the point of giving my life for the cause of Jesus Christ. And if you really mean that, if you love me, keep my commandments. Keep my commandments. That's a simple, simple thing, and yet so few Christians actually do it. We find loopholes, right? We're looking for ways around everything. But obedience is going to naturally flow out of a heart of genuine love for God. What the first point and this one comes down to is a strong desire for holiness. That's what living for Christ is all about, holiness, being holy, being righteous, living godly 
like he talks about in this present world. That's what we're lacking in most of our churches today and what most Christians are lacking in their lives is holiness. If we could get to the point where we were truly holy, then there would be nothing in our life that would disappoint Jesus Christ. There would be nothing in our life that would go against what the Bible says to, to do. Most Christians are willing to only commit to go so far when it comes to holiness. As long as I can keep living my life the way that I want to live my life in my comfort zone, then fine, I'll be holy. I'll be holy, but, but I just don't want to get, I don't, I'm not giving up those things, but I'll be holy, just not that holy. As long as I'm not asked to give up something that I feel is important to me, then that's fine. You want me to give a commitment to holiness? Then I'll be holy. Just, I'm not, I'm not going to commit that much. As long as it doesn't cost me anything, then I'll commit to being holy. A holiness that does not cost you anything, a holiness that doesn't require sacrifice, a holiness that does not pull you out of your comfort zone is not holiness. Something that is pure means that it has no spot. It's not mostly pure or it's not pure, right? If I, if I held up a white piece of paper and had a big spot on it, could you say that it's a white piece of paper? No, it's mostly a white piece of paper, but it's got a spot on it. It's not all white, so it's not a white piece of paper, right? Or if, if I, had a, I had a piece of paper that was, that was really bright white and then a piece of paper that most, you know, if we held it up, we'd, we'd say it was white. I should have done that as an illustration, and you could see the difference of what I'm talking about, but a lot of times you hold up a piece of paper, and I, what color is this? It's white. Then you hold up a bright white piece of paper and say, what color is this? Well, that's white too, but this one's not as bright. And that's exactly what we do with God as Christians. Well, to the rest of the world, I'm, I'm white, I'm pure, look at me, right? And then we hold it up next to the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and we see how holy we really are not. But the Bible commands us, be ye holy, for I am holy. And if we were concerned about that holiness, it, it, there, would no, there would not be any mediocre Christians but it's mediocre Christianity at best, and at worst, it's a slap in the face to a God who requires obedience to his commandments to prove our love to him. True holiness is true, unconditional obedience. Perhaps you've heard about the animal that lives in the forests of northern Europe and Asia. It's a little animal called the ermine. And I don't know if you've ever seen a, um, oh, what are those little things that, that people have as pets that run around in their house, those long ferret, a ferret. They kind of look like a ferret, but they live in the wild, and they live in the, they live in the forests in northern Europe and Asia, and they're known for their snow-white fur in the winter. And obviously, that's one thing that it uses as protection against being tracked and captured by another animal, but that ermine is so concerned about keeping its fur white, it's obsessive about it. And that's the way that they actually get caught by hunters. Because what these hunters will do is they won't track the ermine. They'll go find the ermine's house and they'll, they'll cover the whole opening of the, of, the, of the doorway, if you will, to the ermine's house with grease. And then they start tracking the ermine and they trace him all, they chase him all the way back to his house. And when it, but he will not go in there because of that grease around there he knows is going to get on his white coat. And they trap them right there. They, they chase them with dogs, and the dogs were able to capture those things before they even go into their house because they will not go into that house with the dirt and the grease wrapped around the outside of that opening because they're afraid of what it's going to do to their white coat. Now, isn't that an interesting thing? Purity to that ermine is more precious than life. Wouldn't that be something if there was a lot of Christians who had that same thought? What a picture. 
You'll not be pure. You'll not be holy until it's more precious to you than life. And how do you know when you've reached a true level of holiness? I don't think we can. In fact, I know we cannot reach a true level of holiness in this life. We're always going to fall short because of who we are because we're sinners, because we have that old nature, because we have that old man that's constantly fighting against us, and we're going to make mistakes, we're human. One of these days, we'll be able to be absolutely holy when we have our glorified bodies and everything else, but when we look like our Father, that's how you know you're on the way to being holy. I heard a story about a young man, a father and a son, arrived in a small western town looking for an uncle that he had never met. And they got into this western town. They knew that he lived there somewhere, but he had never met him before. And all of a sudden, the father pointed across the street to a man who was walking away from them. And he said, that's my uncle right there. And the little boy said, Dad, you've never seen him before. How do you know that's him? And the dad said, because he walks exactly like my father. And they walked over across the street. And sure enough, that was his uncle. See, how do people know that we're Christians? Because we walk around and and say, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. No, it's because we live like one. Now, yes, we should be telling other people about Jesus Christ, but people ought to be able to look at you and say something different about that person. That guy must be a Christian. That lady must be a Christian. Look at the way they're acting. Look at the way they live, right? I I mention this all the time, but if somebody wanted to rob our house, they would know, they should know exactly when to rob it. If they're casing the house at all, we're going every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night. And we walk out of the house, and, and it's no doubt. I mean, I know that our neighbors see us. We're walking out of the house with our Bibles and dressed up. There's no other place you could be going other than church, right? Do your neighbors know that? Do they see you living like a Christian every single day, day in, day out? Or do they say, oh, maybe they are Christians. I, shoot, the stuff they were doing last week, I would never be able to tell, but I get, I mean, they're dressed up and they're carrying a Bible. They must be going to church. Maybe they're Christians, right? Shouldn't be a question of whether you're a Christian or not. There should be plenty of things at your house. There should be plenty of things about you that make people know that you're a Christian. If we walk in the Spirit, if we're living in true holiness, the world should know us by our walk. I want you to look at one last passage in Mark chapter 16. Turn over to Mark chapter 16. Command of the king is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. Keep my commandments. And lastly, we see this in Mark chapter 16 and verse number 15. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The command that we've been given by our king is to go tell others about Jesus Christ. If we're loving God with all our hearts and proving it by our obedience and holiness, then the natural next step will be to tell everyone we can about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're sinners. We deserve to die and go to hell because of that sin. Sin cannot enter into heaven. And because of that, Jesus Christ had to die on the cross to pay for those sins. And when he died on the cross to pay for those sins, now he gives us the choice on whether or not we're going to accept the gift of eternal life, accept the payment that he has made in our place and repent of our sins and ask Jesus Christ to come into our hearts and forgive us and to take us to heaven when we die. That's the gospel. It's so simple, and yet so few people are willing to go out and share. Well, I just don't know what I'd say. Tell them what happened to you. Are you saved or not? Did Christ come in and change you or not? Tell them what he did for you. Give them your testimony. Share with them what Jesus Christ has done for you. And if he really changed you, if you're really saved, then it shouldn't be hard for you to go tell somebody else about Jesus Christ. Telling somebody about Christ is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. 
That's exactly what we, we're not, we're not anything special. We're still beggars before God, but it's just one beggar telling another beggar where they can go find bread. That's what salvation is. And if we're truly obedient, and if we're truly holy, then the natural flow of that is going to be that we're going to tell other people about Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never even heard of this before, but there was, they found some graffiti from the 1800s that was actually discovered on the Washington Monument. They were, get, they were replacing some of the marble slabs, and when they pulled some of those things off, they actually found graffiti underneath of that. Now, their graffiti was quite different from the graffiti that you find today, because written on that marble slab of the Washington Monument, it said this, whoever is the human instrument under God in the conversion of one soul erects a monument to his own memory more lofty and enduring than this. Well, that's some graffiti you could handle seeing around in different places, huh? Whoever is the human instrument under God in the conversion of one soul erects a monument to his own memory more lofty and enduring than this. It's signed BFB. Nobody has any idea who that is. Nobody has any idea where that person came from or anything like that. But what a tremendous statement. You win one soul for Jesus Christ. You tell one person about Jesus Christ that accepts him as their Savior. And you erect a monument greater than the Washington Monument. A. Wilbur Chapman, an old preacher, said it this way. If to be a Christian is worthwhile, then the most ordinary interest in those with whom we come in contact would prompt us to speak to them of Christ. If the New Testament be true, and we know that it is, who has given us the right to place the responsibility for soul winning on other shoulders than our own? If they who reject Christ are in danger, is it not strange that we who are so sympathetic when the difficulties are physical or temporal, should apparently be so devoid of interest as to allow our friends and neighbors and kindred to come into our lives and pass out again without a word of invitation to accept Christ, to say nothing of sounding a note of warning because of their peril? If today is the day of salvation, if tomorrow may never come, and if life is equally uncertain, how can we eat, drink, and be merry when those who live with us, work with us, walk with us, and love us are unprepared for eternity because they're unprepared for time? If Jesus called his disciples to be fishers of men, who gave us the right to be satisfied with making fishing tackle or pointing the way to the fishing banks instead of going ourselves to cast out the net until it be filled? If Jesus himself went seeking the lost, if Paul the apostle was in agony because of his kinsmen, according to the flesh, knew not Christ, why should we not consider it worthwhile to go out after the lost until they're found? If I'm to stand at the judgment seat of Christ, to render an account for the deeds done in the body. What shall I say to him if my children are missing? If my friends are not saved? Or if my employer or employee should miss the way because I have been faithless? I wish to be approved at the last. Then let me remember that no intellectual superiority, no eloquence in preaching, no absorption in business, no shrinking temperament or no spirit of timidity can take the place of or be an excuse for my not making an honest sincere, prayerful effort to win others to Christ. See, as with the first two points that we talked about, most people agree that we ought to be telling other people about Jesus Christ. Many people will say that they believe in it, but few actually do it. It's easy to say that we love God. It's harder to prove it. It's easy to say that we'll be a witness for Christ, but when the rubber meets the road, a lot of Christians get cold feet. Well, there'll be an opportunity later. I'm just going to love him the way that Christ loves him. And yes, we should. But loving him the way that Christ loves him means that we're willing to tell him about Jesus Christ without apology, 
so that they too can escape the punishment that's coming to them if they don't accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. We find excuses for why we can't actually talk to someone about Jesus Christ. I have no idea who the author of this poem is, but he said it this way. You lived next door to me for years. We shared our dreams, our joys, and tears. A friend to me you were indeed, a friend who helped me when in need. My faith in you was strong and sure. We had such trust as should endure. No spats between us ever rose. Our friends were like, and so our foes. What sadness then, my friend, to find that after all, you weren't so kind. The day my life on earth did end, I found you weren't a faithful friend. For all those years we spent on earth, you never talked of second birth or of the Messiah who'd make me whole. I plead today from hell's cruel fire and tell you now my last desire. You cannot do a thing for me. No words today my bonds will free. But do not err, my friend, again. Do all you can for souls of men. Pray with them now quite earnestly, lest they be cast in hell with me. Let's make sure that we're not one of those Christians who's a Christian in name only. A true Christian and a lover of Christ will tell other people about Jesus Christ with the time that we have left. We've been given commands in the word of God by our king, by our king of kings. As with an earthly king, there's a great joy in obeying the commandments of the king. He says in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, Whoso keepeth the commandment shall feel no evil thing. And a wise man's heart discerneth both time and judgment. Arabian horses are trained very rigorously in these Middle Eastern deserts. And the horse has to learn to fully trust his master. And so one of the things that they do, especially as they're getting near the end of their training, to test the obedience of the horse is to deprive that horse of water for several days. And then when they get them to the place where they feel like they're completely trained and they're basically ready for this final test, they let the horses go near water. And obviously the horses are so thirsty, especially being out in the desert, they, they make a beeline for that water. And just before they get to that water, that trainer blows his whistle. That calls the horse back. And if that horse is trained properly, he will stop and turn around and come back to that master without ever touching a drop of that water. Of course, then the master rewards him with as much water as he can possibly drink. The trainer knows what the horse needs. He's not going to allow that horse to die of thirst. But they have to trust him. The horse has to trust the master. The horse has to obey the master. And God's the same with us. He wants his children to be happy. He, he knows what we need. He wants to supply our needs. But we have to trust him and we have to obey him. Love the Lord with all your heart. Keep his commandments. Share the gospel. Three simple commands that most Christians, for the most part, will ignore throughout their lives. And why? Because if you love the Lord with all your heart and you prove it by keeping his commandments and then you go out and share the message of the gospel with other people, the rest of the commandments will just fall in place. If you love him with all your heart and you're truly holy, then what are you disobeying? What are you not going to do that you're commanded to do? What are you going to do that you shouldn't be doing? Nothing. If you're obeying that commandment to love him and then you love him, you prove that you love him by following and obeying him, and that leads to a heart of gratitude so overflowing that you cannot help but tell other people about Jesus Christ, all the rest of the commandments will just fall in place. Will you be one of them who will say, one day, 
I want to stand before Jesus Christ, my King of kings. And I want to hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Because at the end of the day, that's all we are. We're just servants of the king. Now, we might think sometimes that we're important. We might be elevated to certain status levels in this life. But as Christians, we're just a servant of the king. And the servant doesn't have a will of his own. He is to obey the king's commandments. We've been given some pretty simple commands. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. Keep my commandments. Go tell others about me. Will you do it? Will you do it? I want to be a servant that stands before God someday and hears him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Do you? Father, we love you again. We thank you so much for how good you are to us. Thank you for the commands that we do have in the word of God. What a precious thing it is to be able to hold the word of God in our hands and know exactly what we should do. Boy, no game is fun without having rules. And no Christian life would be enjoyable without knowing what we should or should not do. You've given us the commands. They're as plain as can be. God, I pray that you'd give us the strength, the courage, the boldness to follow them. I pray that you'd help us to love you with our whole hearts. I pray that you'd help our church to be a church full of people who are so concerned with holiness that nothing else matters. I pray that you'd help us to be a church full of people who are willing, at whatever cost, to share the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Holiness and witnessing. If we can grasp those two concepts, then we will be the Christian that you want us to be until you come back. I pray that you'd help us to make changes in our life where they need to be made so that we can be holy and so that we'll be a witness for you. And I pray that those decisions would be made this morning so that we might continue to move forward for you. Thank you for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. If you would, stand at your seats with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. We're going to have a time of invitation. Perhaps you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. You're serving the wrong king. If Jesus Christ is not your Savior, then the devil is your father, and he is the one that you're serving. And I can promise you that he does not have your best interests at heart. The Bible makes that very clear. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're never going to be able to follow those three commandments because he's not your father. He's not your king. He is the king of kings, but he's not your king. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, won't you come forward this morning? Let somebody take the Bible and show you how you can know for sure that when you die, you're going to go to heaven. It's the most important decision you'll ever make. But if you are saved, if you do know Jesus Christ as your Savior this morning, then the next most important step you can make to make a decision that you're going to follow him, that you're going to obey him, and that you're going to tell other people about him. If you're not doing that to the best of your ability, then you need to be at an altar this morning asking God to help you do that to the best of your ability. You know, the amazing thing about the king that we serve is not only that he commands us to do those things, but he never gives us a command where he does not also give us the power and the ability to do it. It's not impossible. Sometimes it might seem like it is. It's not impossible. And if he's given us that command, then he's going to help us in every single way that he can to help us follow those commands. What a plan. It doesn't get much better than that. But you need to ask him. And that's what I'm asking you to do this morning as the piano plays. The invitation is open. If God's spoken to your heart, you can come.